the Gospel of Mark this morning and in chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me there. Our text will be found in verses 28 through verse 34. An amazing privilege that we have to be able to meet together like this and open up the Word of God and learn together. What a special day, what a beautiful day it is. Um, My dear sister, Ruth, it is absolutely wonderful to have you here. Welcome. We love you. We've been praying for you, and we are excited to hear more about uh, the ministry uh, in between the two services. Ashley Hendrich, as well, is visiting with us, a rep from Vision Cross. Basically, she's she's Ruth's bodyguard. Ruth is kind of like a rock star. People don't realize that. And Ashley is here just to kind of be alongside of her. Welcome, both of you ladies, to Big Woods. It is also a privilege to visit, have visiting with us, a, a very good friend of mine. Damodar Sharma is visiting from Siligree in West Bengal, India. I have had the privilege of knowing Damodar for over 10 years now. Um, I met him over there when I was visiting. Um, what an amazing man of God. More than 30 years, uh, he and his wife, Jenicky, have been serving with Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, we were talking this morning. Um, it's been over 100 churches that Damodar has led young pastors, trained them to plant uh, in that area, very difficult region um, of the world, kind of a Muslim-Hindu collision And in the middle, God has placed Damodar Sharma. Um, He speaks five languages. Whenever I get the opportunity to sit with him, he has so much to offer. I am just amazed with that privilege. And I always feel like I have so little. Uh, Today I offered him, we had Captain Crunchberries this morning. (laughs) I have so little to offer a man of such wisdom. Uh, But we love Damodar, and it is great. On Tuesday evening... um, we may be limited for space, but Damodar will be speaking at uh, Lock Haven University campus um, at New Life, um, at the pub at 7 o'clock, and you are welcome to attend that as he speaks about the gospel uh, going forward for the glory of God. Um, so I'd encourage you to make that a priority. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday, the day that, that our Lord and Savior rode in on a little low donkey people were what? They were shouting, Hosanna, Lord, save, please, save, please. Laying down palm branches and even taking off their jackets and laying them because they recognized that he was the only one to save. And yet we know within what? Five days, those same people were shouting, kill him, crucify him. So, so what happened in between? And that's really where our text is at. We are, right, we are Wednesday of Passion Week in this text. And I trust that the Lord, just as Luke prayed, and Luke, thank you for leading us in worship, um, that God would open up our hearts to his word. Um, and may we pray now that God would do just that. Would you bow your heads uh, with me? Father, as we come now into your presence, our heads are bowed, showing our submission to your sovereign authority. Father, oh, how we 
are amazed at your grace, at your patience with us. We're amazed at your mercies that are new every single day and your love that is unceasing and unconditional. Father, I thank you for this body. I just love what you're doing in the lives of, of many. Thank you so much for bringing Root to visit from Guatemala. Lord, I ask a unique anointing, continued protection upon her. What an amazing, godly, spirit-led woman that you are using in amazing ways. Father, may we uh, be faithful in our love and care and support and our prayers. Father, we um, understand before us right now, we have a mission that that lies in front that is really challenging, that it is virtually impossible for us to accomplish apart from your work, from the power of your spirit and constant pouring into from the truth of your word. Father, help us, Lord, this morning to hear from you and please, Lord, guard my mind and my mouth um, from saying anything that would not bring glory to, to you. Father, I, I pray for people that are here at this very moment who are are aching at some level, are, are hurting, perhaps struggling in physical pain or discouragement, perhaps going through marriage struggles or challenges at home or in family. God, I would just ask that you would, in a unique way, just reveal yourself and encourage and comfort. May we be reminded of the amazing truth and hope that exists in the power, the full power of the gospel that rescues us from ourselves that aligns us to be in right relationship with you. And oh, how we rejoice in that message. Father, I would ask right now that, that your perfect will be accomplished. May, may you speak and may us, your servants, hear. We ask this in a strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. <clears throat> okay, um, I said it's Wednesday of Passion Week. Sunday, Hosanna, Friday, crucify. What took place that, that made them turn like this? This is what took place. The, the telling of truth from Jesus that, that upset. You ever have someone tell you the truth and it has rattled you at some, some level? It's kind of bothered you? It's even angered you? That, that's what's happening here with the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders that are just trying to trap Jesus, trick him, um, in, in some way. And they have come in wave after wave of attack after attack, trying to exhaust Jesus, frustrate him in some way with, with questions about fasting, questions about the Sabbath, questions about marriage and divorce, taxes, resurrection. And, and in all of this, Jesus just dominates them in every single way. He, he, he ticks off the Pharisees. He silences the Herodians. He shuts down the Sadducees. And yet in this text, there's a little bit what I would refer to as a, a tonal transition. It seems to soften a little bit from these aggressive attacks. It's still a, a, a trick to trap, but it's not quite perhaps as nasty. Remember big picture here. Remember exactly what is happening. Thankfully, the synoptic gospels work together. They, they work in coordination or correlation. And so Matthew's text gives us a little bit of detail just before this. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. 
So in a sense, the Sanhedrin is calling all the big guns to meet. And they know that every single, every single attempt, every single attack up to this point has ended in complete failure. It has been unsuccessful in every way. And so they are getting exasperated and frustrated. What do we do with this guy who claims to be the very son of God? Many people don't realize that when Matthew records that they were meeting together, that this is still, remember what's happening here. Who's the author of all of this? This is the perfect fulfillment of messianic prophecy. You go all the way back in the Psalms to chapter 2, verse 2. It says, the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. This is perfectly planned. Every single tiny detail leading, what, even up to his death, and the crucifixion itself, everything, not a bone broken, his side pierced. He is whipped and beat. And by his stripes we are healed. Every detail, who's in charge? God is completely in charge here, not man. Remember that. Remember God's sovereign reign and rule. As we look at this text, as it hopefully jumps off of the pages for us this morning, Mark chapter 12, we pick up the narrative of, of Mark and in verse 28, I'll read down through our text this morning through verse 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all of your heart, with all of the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, as much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far, not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Number one, this morning we see this, we read the text, we explain the text before we apply the text. In explanation, number one, we hear a question about the great commandment in verse 28. It's pretty obvious which commandment, which, which law is most important of all. Now remember, these have been, up to this moment, these have been some very tense kind of telling moments of dialogue between Jesus and the religious leaders. Their questions have been meant to trick him, and Jesus has answered in just searing hot truth. Now it appears that that one of the scribes, Matthew gives the detail, he refers to him as a lawyer. Which law is important? Why? Because laws are important to lawyers. He's probably a Pharisee and he holds, it kind of seems, like I said, the, the tone is a little bit more gentle. He holds kind of a friendly conversation that begins by asking 
which commandment from the law of Moses is of fundamental importance. Of all of the writings of Moses, what is what is what is central to everything else? Which commandments is most important? In a sense, and you've kind of asked this question here, we've heard a lot of information and we kind of back away and we say, okay, what do we have to take away from this? Excuse me, is this going to be on the test or not? You ever asked that question? Like, there's been a lot of information. Where do we really need to pause here? Where do we have to park and where do we have to actually know? Is this going to be on the test? That's basically what they're asking right here. And it seems like first read a pretty safe, harmless, we could call it innocuous question. It doesn't seem connected to a lot of the conversations that they have been having. How is this a potential trap anyway? The Pharisees feel the gospel that Jesus is preaching is what is contrary to the teaching of the law. The Pharisees would say that the gospel of Jesus is a false gospel. And so what they want to do is what? If Jesus can say something against the law, he thus contradicts Moses. And Moses is what? Moses to these people, Moses to everyone over there, is the man. If Moses says it, it goes. Remember, remember the Pharisees took all the Old Testament. The, the Sadducees took only the first five books, the Pentateuch. They couldn't agree on much, but they could agree on the law of Moses. So if they could get Jesus to say something that would be beyond or above or outside of the law of Moses, then they got him. And they know that the whole message of Jesus in their minds, he has been running rogue. And so this is a moment, a telling moment. Jesus asked the question, he responds with a direct quote from where? The law of Moses, that every single person who's listening, everyone who's gathered around would not only know, but they would know it very well. They would be very familiar with it. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, what? Shema Yisrael Adonai Eleheinu Adonai Echad, Echad. It's that Echad. I don't do the Hebrew well with my Philadelphia slash Nova Scotia accent. It just doesn't blend real well. Everyone is familiar. What is the greatest commandment? Here, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Jesus uses a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It is referred to what? Every Jewish person knows it as the Shema. It is the central prayer in the Jewish prayer book. It is what? It is oftentimes the very first thing that any little Jewish child would memorize. It is what? It is, it is to us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is what Orthodox Jews would recite this in synagogue and, and they would pronounce it very carefully each syllable and they would cover their, their, their eyes with their right hand as they would repeat it twice a day, morning and evening. The Shema. They would actually take, take little strips of paper and they would, they would write it real tiny and roll it up as scrolls. They'd put it on a mezuzah and it would, they'd hang it on the doorposts of their house everywhere. Go to Jerusalem today and you'll still see the Shema. My brother has it engraved in his ring. 
Because this is important. It's a major theme. Why do we exist here? We exist with one purpose, to love the one God with every ounce of our energy, every, every part. Notice as well that this is what we're told to love. This is not like a multiple choice. If you get a chance to, if you have a few extra moments, um, it would really be helpful for you to know this is imperative. This is a command here. It is absolutely foundational in our spiritual life. I read it this week. It is the most defining attitude that we can express in explaining who we are. Who are we? We're people that love God, the only one true God. So Jesus is, is asked this question. And Jesus answers the question in a way, always. What does the master teacher do? He, he, he answers the question in a way to teach. Always to teach. Secondly, what? We learn a lesson about loving God and loving people. Um, This is not really anything new for us to hear about Big Woods. Love God, love people. This is what uh, Vince Lombardi would say. This is as basic as you can get. Uh, Vince Lombardi was coached back in 1961. He met at the very first day, very first day of preseason. He had 38 players from the Green Bay Packers, and they had literally, they had literally just lost, gave up a fourth quarter lead, and they lost by like this much to the Philadelphia Eagles, no less, in 1961. And, 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 and they were like second place. Almost the entire team returns the very next season and Vince Lombardi, in a sense, meeting together for the very first time, he goes back to the basics and literally he goes into the cabinet and he takes out a football, he holds it up and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. You can't get any more basic than that. We're going to start all the way down here and we're going to build up again. This is, in a sense as basic as we can possibly get, a child of God. If you claim to be a child of God, what do you do? You love God, the one true God, the creator God, the father of the patriarchs, the heavenly father, the triune God, the God who rescues and saves us and rebuilds us and rescues us. A Christian is a follower of Christ. And we love our Savior. And in a sense, he, he kind of un- unpacks it a little bit. And he says, well, this is how you are to love. And he kind of breaks it down in four different areas. It's love God with all. Not a portion of, not for a few moments on a Sunday morning. Okay, we are to pause here. And we are reminded to love God with all of our heart. It means what? The deepest ambitions and motives of our entire life. You wake up in the morning, every morning, and say, God, what is it that you you want for me to do today? How can I align my life for you and for your glory every day? That's what it means to love with all of your hearts. That's still not enough. He says, what? You to love the Lord your God with all of your soul. Soul is what? It's the deepest seat of our emotions and our affections. We, we burn inside of us. And we are infatuated with one 
And our focus is not to be on all the slop this world has to offer and the distractions and the noise. No, no, no. Our focus, the deepest part of our affections, our soul, is to be concentrated and to love the one God. He builds on that even more. It says to love God with my mind. Our, our cognitive ability we choose. It means the way that we think. I'm reminded of Romans 12. What? That there's to be renewing of our mind. We're to be transformed. We're not to be conformed to the rest of the world. We're to be transformed. And we do that by thinking differently. And so literally our thoughts are to be what? Completely captivated. I don't think I got very far in this list before I realized this week, Lord, I am just so far. I get so easily off off track and I get pulled off the trail. I don't love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength enough. And that, that's, where, that's where Jesus in a teaching moment is bringing all of the focus. And that's where the Holy Spirit this morning, in a sense, presents this to you and, and, and examines, well, how, how are you doing in the measuring of your love towards the one true God? It says that we are to love God with all of our strength. You have, for this time being, been given a physical body. Uh, a jar of clay, as we were talking about it on Friday morning. Uh, we're given a tent to live in for a temporary period of time, for a short period of time, and we're to take everything. We're to we're to guard this body, so that we offer everything by way of our energy, by way of our gifts and our abilities. Each movement is to be for His glory. We love God that much. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And we're to live in such a way that we're not like shy about this. A stranger notices perhaps that you live your life a little bit differently, that you don't participate or party with everyone else. And there's something unique and there's a joy in our voice or there is a spring in our step. And someone asks you, why is it that you have the hope that you seem to display? We're not shy about displaying our love for God. In fact, I would even say that we're supposed to shout it and let everyone know about where our affections lie and where our affections are concentrated. At Big Woods, you pick up any piece of literature, you go anywhere, and you oftentimes hear about what? First and foremost, we love God and we love people. Go to our website. I was checking out just this week. I was chatting with, <laughs> chatting with Seth. The other day on the, on, on the, you know, the thing. You can see him now. You know, you can see somebody from a... I was chatting with him and he said, Dad, I, I was going to listen to one of your messages. I said, oh, that's really neat. That's good. He goes, but I didn't. I listened to Matt Chandler instead. I said, if I had a choice to listen to Matt Chandler myself, you made the right choice. Um, you, you go anywhere and we're not shy about this. I actually went on and I, I took a piece of it it, on our website and tell people about this. So what, what do we believe in the church? Why are we here? Like, what do we do this for? You click the little menu about us and goes to our mission. Listen to this. And I love this. This is, this is us as a response to God's amazing gift of grace and love. I love the way that, and we'll see this in a moment, we don't love God with the hope of getting to. We love God as a result of 
his amazing offering and gift to us. As a response to God's amazing gift of grace and love, we purpose to encourage the body of Christ right here. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to edify and build up what? That you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it says this, and I quote, these two commandments drive the work of our hands. Everything that we do, you set donuts out downstairs and you drive a van or you teach a class or you stand up and teach a lesson. We do everything because of a love of God in response to his amazing gift of his grace. It says what? Through instruction, worship, accountability. Important word. You have to have others around you. You can't be living on an island. You get weird, okay? You get, you get really weird when you isolate yourself. Through instruction, worship, accountability, and growth, we deepen our love of God. As an expression of our love of God, we love others through service fellowship and outreach. In all we do, we desire to glorify God and draw others into a real, I love this, vibrant relationship with Him. And in doing so, each person in our sphere of influence is brought into this continued, what? Love of God and neighbors. So there's something like really real here that our mission that we are on, we are reminded of that in this text. Jesus answers this question supposedly to trap or to trick. And he says, let, let, let me tell you what's, what matters in life. You and I need to be regularly reminded about what matters in life. Do you realize this is on the test? Since we met together last week, you are one week closer to standing before the Lord. And he's going to ask you, my job is, is to prepare us for that. He gets ready for that. Jesus builds on this and he adds what? And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's where all of a sudden the air goes out. Like, you know, I can love God. It's just, it's like the guy sitting next to me that I got a really hard time with. Isn't it interesting that in a sense that we can't love God apart from loving our neighbor. We can't love our neighbor apart from loving God. The answer is, is recognizing, understanding that what? Every single neighbor, regardless of how they look, talk, smell, whatever kind of music they listen to, whatever they smoke, whatever it is that just irritates you, they have been what? According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, they have been created in the image of God. Every soul on this planet has been created in his image. Therefore, to love God implies that we are to love everything that reflects Him in any way. And you can be assured of this, it would be an absolute major miss. It would be inconsistent in every way to claim to love God, but not love those who bear His very image. And that's what's hard for us. It seems in a sense, I was asking, asking people this week, just, just by way of interest, what's easier for you? Is it easier to love God or is it easier to love your neighbor? The conclusion is simple. Regardless of the many different answers I heard, and I appreciate the honesty, the conclusion is simple, is that you cannot have one without the other. 
We can't take a portion of this and say, I, I will focus all my concentration here, but just not hang with them. Or I'll just hang with them. We can't, you cannot, you can't split this. You cannot have the former without the latter. Think of it like this, that all of God's laws relate to it. Really, it only includes, it's reduced to two parts and two possibilities. Everything by way of his law given to us boils down to what? Our relationship with him and our relationship with others. Everything boils down to that. And so moments like this, we pause in that and we begin to look around like, how are we doing on that? Really, our relationship with others... How are you doing? And I'm not talking about spending time that you, with people that you love to hang with. Like, that's easy for us. How are you doing intentionally going out of your way to love those people? Forgive me for being crass. Just bug you. I don't know what the word is. Just annoy you to no end. And don't tell me that, well, you must be really like, there must be, because I don't. No, we all have people that just like get under our skin in some way. And you have to understand, this is not going to happen like accidentally, like I'm just going to wake up and I'm going to start loving everything. This has to happen intentionally. This is spirit-led. And what happens, we surrender the Holy Spirit. He gives to us the ability to love. How are you doing in this? How are you loving God? How are you sacrificing for God? Cutting off some of the silliness of, 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 of the time that we have and the wasting of the time and the resources and the money and the gifts and the abilities. And, and how are we offering that back totally? Lord, it's all yours. How are you doing here? How are you doing at loving others? That's what Jesus is, in a sense, teaching us a lesson about. That's what the Holy Spirit speaks to us about. Thirdly, we, we see a man who is near the kingdom, but not in the kingdom. That's a unique statement that Jesus makes. We see a man, we hear a man respond here, and he's near the kingdom. Jesus answers the question from this young scribe, this lawyer, this Pharisee with the Shema, and this man, his response is what? He affirms what Jesus answered as being correct. And I love this. It's a really good answer. You are right, teacher, it says in verse 32. Very quickly get the idea that all of the other Jewish leaders standing around her, their intent was to really just nail him, okay? Like the whole air just kind of goes out. There's like, a, there's like an audible groan or a sigh, like who gave this guy the job? Like, like how are we going to what... <laughs> We're trying to nail this guy to a tree and you're now telling him he's perfectly right. Something doesn't seem to add up here. Jesus, oh, he never misses it. That's, that's why align with his, his philosophy of ministry. Line everything that we do. Listen to the way that he ministers. Jesus sees this again as a teaching moment. His purpose for being here, what? To expand his father's kingdom for his father's glory. Look at the response in verse 34. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That's, that's good. That's good. But it's not good enough. That's what, it's, it's near, 
But it's not near enough. It's close, but it's not close enough. We've heard this phrase before that close only counts in horseshoes, right? Very quickly, a little lesson in horseshoes. What a great game for old men to play. <laughs> little, it's like a just hunk of metal shaped like a horseshoe, okay? And you like pitch it and you're supposed to, to hook it on a spike and it's like, I don't know, 60 feet, 6 inches. I don't know how far it's supposed to be, okay? And it's a really hard game. The idea is you want to you ring the horseshoe with the spike. It's so hard, as a matter of fact, that it happens rarely. And so we have to start giving points like being close to it because it's that hard. Three points for a ringer. But if you're within 6 inches, you're close. We'll give you a point. That's the law of horseshoes. Think of this particular scenario. Jesus says, wise answer, close, warm, warmer, you're getting warmer. You're right in your thinking that this is what? This is an internal issue. You're right in the beginning to process this is not about the external. It's not about the ritual. It's not about the ceremonial. It's not about bringing whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So, so what is the problem here? The man, the man does exactly what many, many people in our entire world do. Have you picked up recently, last week or two, how many, how many television um, documentaries there have been about finding Jesus and fact or fiction and faith and, and all of these discoveries? He is, he's everywhere. And this man, in a sense, the problem is this. He does what many people, most people in the world, they recognize him as a great teacher, but he needed to recognize him as a great savior. And he drives it home with an idea that says what? You can't just love God and love your neighbor. It's not going to cut it. Can you go to heaven by loving God and loving your neighbor only? No. That's what Jesus is saying. You're close, but close only counts in horseshoes. You must enter by faith in Christ in his death, and in his what? As we look forward to celebrating seven days from now, in his resurrection. All the way through the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 12, what? Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. John chapter 14, the words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He, in a sense, established his authority, his credibility to say, you listen to what I have to say. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If we confess with your mouth, excuse me, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's not, let's not, as much as the mission that we are on, okay, to love God and love people, we don't do that in order to get to heaven. Some of you, I believe, who are sitting here even this morning who have heard me preach a hundred times still think that it's by doing good things and loving people and going to a trip to Guatemala and helping others by, by putting something in an offering plate 
or by opening the door for somebody, by doing good things, by being kind and helpful, then that's it. I'm good to go. No, it's not. It's offering your what? (laughs) Your life. It's submitting to his authority, recognizing, putting your faith and trust in him and him alone. As we conclude, this this is the final time. They tried to trap him and trick him and and shut him up and shut him down. And from this point onward, no one dared ask him any more questions. And yet, you know what? They still refused to hear. And in three days, they would be shouting, kill him, get rid of him. How do we land this? It's time to ask in application, are you close to the kingdom of God or are you in the kingdom of God? We begin right there. You personally. What is your understanding or acknowledgement of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, holy God, sinful man, separation as a result of what? Fall, Genesis chapter 3. God loved us so much that he offered his own son, what? To close the gap, to rescue us. But we have to acknowledge that. And acknowledging that, that's being in the kingdom of God. Are you close or are you in? Secondly, are you trusting in your works? Loving God, loving your neighbor, or do you have a faith in trusting in his work? And finally, in closing, I ask this question. How many people do you know that are just like this man? They actually think that they're good to go. I attended a funeral not that long ago, and, and, and the, the person who was teaching or preaching or... Th- painted every single person. Everyone, everyone's there. You're a good guy. You didn't, you didn't kill someone. Everyone's there. That's just a dangerous lie. We, we, we pray what God give us the strength to love you. Give us the strength to love our neighbor, but give us the strength to do that in response to your amazing gift and your grace. And may we offer our lives and may we shout the message, the importance of having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission made real. Father, we love you. We ask that you would continue to speak through your spirit. Father, we ask that you would make us, Lord, this week, just acutely aware of those around us. Lord, help us to invite others to come on on Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection at Easter. Father, help us to to go knock on our neighbor's door. Help us to pick them up and drive them to church. Help us to to meet them there, to open the door, to show them love and to share with them the hope that exists of a transformed life as a result of putting our faith in you and in your work, not ours. Help us to do that, to be faithful and to do that well. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke.